Back to school, back to school, to prove to daddy that I'm not a fool. Hey everyone, welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is Anthony. This is James, and today we're doing an actor spotlight on Adam Sandler. Great comedian, he's made so many great movies, of course he's had a very interesting career. He's one of the most successful actors of all time, I mean the guy has incredibly lucrative deals with Netflix right now. He just signed one in 2020 for four pictures, four movies and for $275 hey, million. pictures the old way you're I saying. Know, it's weird. Well, so he signed with Netflix in 2014 originally, and they made they made six films, um, Happy Madison and Netflix together. From those six films, Netflix claims that over 2 billion hours were watched of those six Adam Sandler movies. So um, they saw, I think that Adam Sandler could be the most lucrative property in the entire platform. It, so yeah. it shows that people adore this guy and all of his movies, people like to watch them. Yeah, something about him that people are drawn to, whether it's the relatability of his like childlike characters um, that make people of all ages able to enjoy the films that he makes and then progress into their adulthood and still enjoy the films that he makes. And I, I think it's really going to be fun to look at his career because his, his characters and his movies kind of our progression of his life and his maturity as well as you can kind of break it down like that in a way compared to like his Billy Madison childlike ways and more like big daddy when he loses most of the man child ability and like the, then the, and the baby talking voices and then now older mature roles, like as a father, like grown ups where he has kids and then obviously uncut gems and stuff like that. I think that's a good point to say that the childlike quality, because I think that throughout film, there have always been like sidekicks or supporting characters in films that were like kind of like the bumbling idiot or the immature guy or, or woman. And um, they were never the leads. And I think that Adam Sandler um, brought that kind of character into the leading role of a film that had never been done before. It made it okay for a guy to be immature and childish and foolish and be the lead of a film. And so I think people really gravitated to that because they related to a lot of what he did on screen because when you're with friends, like you, it's, you're silly, you're immature, you're making jokes, and you're just, you know, sometimes tr like trying to offend each other and just have a good time. And I think he brought those qualities to the leading role, the leading man role that we had never really seen before. I agree with the second half of what you just said, but I think like the man child, the silly comedy, it's existed for the entirety of film. I mean, we're talking about Charlie Chaplin. Watch any of his movies. All the humor is pretty much this bumbling childlike idiot kind of like doing silly things with the people around the town or yeah. in the situations. And so I think that the the man child, I think that's just, I don't mean that as a slight on Adam Sandler. That's basically the character. He plays a man child in pretty much every single role, a different version of but it. But it's or, a nice contrast to the typical leading man we've always been used to. Yeah. But yeah. still, again, this man child's existed for a long time. And a lot of comedians, still do it i mean obviously will ferrell half of his roles are man childs i mean stepbrothers is literally yeah. two man children in it the whole time and it's hysterical so i think there's something about that would it be called men children men, men children. children the man child characters in in actors and comedians they've been around for a while but i think sandler is obviously the most popular and most successful in the last 50 years for sure the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast is go to patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast and become a patron and support us monthly Members get perks like personalized videos, personalized messages, and a monthly shout-out on the podcast for top-tier patrons. And I think people underrate his talent because obviously he's had a few really great dramatic roles like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love and stuff. So he, he's all, he has proven that he can act dramatically, but I don't think enough people um, give him enough credit at, in terms of his comedic acting because someone who reminds me of him of the last decade or so is Jordan Peele. So if you watch uh, like Key and Peele... Um, Jordan Peele is an astounding comedic actor. Whatever silly, ridiculous character he's playing, he has an accent. He has a completely different persona. He's like a method actor in comedy. You know what I mean? They transform themselves, and Adam Sandler has been doing this for a long time. Where he, Yeah, he's in a comedy, but he's still portraying a completely different person. He's putting on an accent. He's changing his mannerisms. He's changing his speech and, uh, and his appearance. And so I think he... He takes his comedy very seriously. I think that's why people love his movies so much. Whereas, yeah, Will Ferrell has done that a, a plenty of times. Like Mugatu, super different, and he's had other roles like that, like Ricky Bobby. But uh, oftentimes, Will Ferrell, especially lately, he's kind of just been playing like the same kind of version of himself. Whereas Adam Sandler has so many eclectic characters. So it's you can't help but be amazed at his comedic acting. Yeah, I agree with that. And But also, I kind of disagree with it too, where I think comedians, it's essential for them and to prolong their careers and 
they, they stick to like their persona and what they're good at. Oh, I yeah. mean, Adam Sandler again, he's the man child. He's that's like his thing, and he has the he has the baby voices that he used to do in the early films, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, and then again we talk. I just mentioned how in like Big Daddy and these other movies, about halfway through his career, he's he's a little more mature. He drops the baby accent and those voices, but he still has the same um, characteristics to his character, and, and like most specifically, uh, doesn't want to grow up. They need a woman in their life to kind of replace their mother in a way and get them to mature throughout the film and the storyline. And then also the random aggression and the in the exploding rage, yeah. the, expla- the exploding rage that just all of his characters have in a way. But I think it works best when it's in those early films because he has these these characters that are so innocent in a way because they're so childlike that it works better than his newer films where he tries to do that like within Jack and Jill and some other films where the anger just doesn't really project as well and doesn't come across as funny because it's more like why are they constantly yelling because they're not as innocent as they were in the early stages of his career. Yeah, I think it's because he's younger back then yeah. so it's more acceptable for him to be pretty immature whereas when he's in his 40s it doesn't work quite as well. And But that's a great point where you say like the innocent person who doesn't want to grow up and that we actually saw the first instance of that on snl with one of his early characters on snl which was brian and brian had this talk show on the show was a recurring skit where it was the denise show where it was about this girl that his girlfriend that broke up with him and he just talks about denise and like plays old videos and tells old stories about denise because he won't accept that she broke up with him and that's like the first instance of this childlike man who won't accept like real life and the responsibilities and taking accountability. And that was like the first instance of that. And also he played a character on SNL called Canteen Boy. And it has like that Billy Madison, like a childlike voice that's down yeah. here and up here and everything. That character is actually the main inspiration for Bobby Boucher. It looks in like the water it, yeah. boy. Yeah. The way he's, cause he's kind of simple minded and not, not super smart and very like reserved. So that Bobby Boucher was inspired by Canteen Boy and another character. I can't remember who, but a, a few, a few of his SNL characters, inspired many of his early roles yeah but as many like obviously sandler has made some bad movies he's made some of the worst movies considered by a lot of people and a lot of film critics out there which is totally agreeable especially in the last 10 years but i mean he's been so consistent though throughout the the rest of his career i mean the first 16 years sandler came out with a good movie almost every single year of course there were duds but from 1995 to 2009 he made billy madison happy gilmore the wedding singer the water boy big daddy little nicky punch drunk love Mr. Deeds, Anger Management, 51st Dates, Spanglish, The Longest Yard, Click, Rain Over Me, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, Don't Mess With The Zoan, and Funny People. And that's an insane list. I know there are some of those movies that some people might not consider good movies. And obviously I left some out that he was in, but that's an insane list of a 16-year span. This episode is sponsored by Writer Duet, the new standard for screenwriting software. You no longer have to pay huge amounts of money for your software for as little as $7.99 per month you can use Writer Duet to get your screenwriting career off the ground. We know many of you listening are aspiring filmmakers and writers, and James and I also write in our free time. We have a lot of experience with it, and if you know screenwriting, you know that the formatting for screenplays can be really weird and complicated and complex, and it's hard to do it without a software. And Writer Duet software makes the process streamlined. It has cloud-based access from any device, anywhere, and is accessible by anyone. Think of it like uh, Google Docs for screenwriting. Like Multiple people can even work on the same script simultaneously from their iPhones. It's amazing. Famous screenwriters have been using Writer Duet for a long time, including Jim Ools, who wrote Fight Club, uh, Christopher Ford, who wrote Spider-Man Homecoming, and Andy Bobro, who wrote Community. Writer Duet has paired with us to offer a special promotion. Go to writerduet.com slash raiders this week for a special 30-day free trial of any one of their subscriptions. Again, writerduet.com slash raiders. And if you use our link with writerduet.com slash raiders, we'll read the first 10 pages of your script and let you know what we think. Writerduet.com slash raiders. His movies consistently make money. That's been like, remember that that South Park episode with, um, what's the robot one? Uh, Osimo? I, I am Osimo. Yeah, and then yeah. he goes to the movie studio and all the execs are asking him for movie pitches. And he keeps saying, like, uh, Adam Sandler falls in love with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he keeps pitching them Adam Sandler movies because Adam Sandler movies make money. He has, uh, he's, 15 of his films have grossed over $100 million, which is absurd, especially when you factor in that the last eight years of his career have mostly been streaming. 
and this is comedy. Comedies yeah, this generally comedy. don't make that big. Box don't make office. money, but not like it's not a superhero or an action movie, you know. And so I it's, think it's like an amazing d- thing to make that much money consistently. He just has he's a powerhouse at the box office. And I feel like at least ten or a dozen or over two hundred thousand dollars to box office. Two hundred million. That's I mean two hundred million dollars. <laughs> Been working all day. Sorry, two hundred million dollars at the box office. People are like two hundred thousand dollars. I make that like that's not that much. Yeah. <laughs> but again, a complicated career, up and down. But I think at this point in his career. I don't think anyone in filmmaking is having more fun than Adam Sandler. This guy, all he does, he's making hundreds of millions of dollars. He's making movies with his buddies. He seems to be having a great time. He gets to write and, and, and produce all of his own films. And it's it seems like a dream come true. And Netflix just keeps throwing money at him. And he doesn't have to worry about box office bombs anymore. He just signed with Netflix this past month. And they, they signed him to a $275 million deal for four movies. No, it's, it's 2020 they signed it. Yeah, oh, 2020. It's insane. And so they know how lucrative his name brand is. And the thing with him is, yeah, so many of his movies are critically panned. And like, yeah, oftentimes like he has, he comes out with a bad movie here and there, but I don't think he cares at all what critics think. Cause I've, he seems to only care that if his fans like the films, then who cares what Rotten Tomatoes says? You know what I mean? And like you said, he's probably having a blast making movies with his friends because the film industry can be very stressful and and intense and oftentimes and especially on set and so i'm sure he's reached this point where when he's on set with his friends and like he's producing the movie so he's kind of like the person in charge even though there's a director i'm sure it's like easy breezy for him just chilling on set with nothing to really worry about and like they're probably having the best time so i can imagine like he doesn't care what critics say about his movies as long as the fans love them. That's all that matters. And clearly they do since so many people are watching his Netflix movies. Yeah, Murder Mystery, the one he just did with Jennifer Aniston. Netflix, Netflix said it was their most watched movie in 2020, which is insane. And just to keep playing off how he doesn't probably care about critics anymore, he also seems like the least fake celebrity or actor in yeah. the world. The guy like will go to like Jimmy Fallon or like a late show with like a Nick shirt and like sweatpants or like basketball yeah, shorts. Yeah. He doesn't care. Which, which I love because many of these actors and, and oh, filmmakers, <laughs> all they care about is what people think about them. And a lot of people, because I used to work in that area of, of, of photography, and you wouldn't believe, like, you see these stars on talk shows or at red carpets or at press events or, or for magazine articles, and they're, they're dressed so amazingly and they look perfect. But, like, the, the actors don't own the clothes that they're wearing. These are all clothes that their stylist showed up an hour before the the talk show or interview or photo shoot with a rack full of clothes and then them and the PR team picked out certain outfits and then like for a talk show they're like okay they went through like 10 suits and then they finally picked this suit for the show because and so actors oftentimes 99% of the time don't even own the clothes that they wear on red carpets and in TV interviews so there's a it's an illusion and a lot of a facade in terms of celebrity culture and the public perception of how amazing celebrities are and I think Adam Sandler is such a refreshing movie star and celebrity to have because he doesn't do that. He doesn't care about what he looks like. He likes to dress how he likes to dress. And he doesn't need to wear a fancy suit that some stylist picked out uh, and he needs to get sized for the night before the David Letterman show. You know what I mean? Jonah Hill is someone similar where he does whenever he does a magazine photo shoot, he brings his own clothes to the shoot rather than being styled because guys like that, they don't want to be falsely represented as by these clothes that they would never even wear. So I love that aspect about him. Adam Sandler was born and raised in New York City, and he grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, He was acting in sitcoms and landed as an SNL writer in 1990, and then eventually became a main cast member, becoming well-known for his original songs that he would perform on episodes, as well as those hilarious, rambunctious characters. And Sandler's class was one of the best of SNL history. I mean, he was on there with David Spade, Chris Rock, Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, Julia Sweeney, Mike Myers, Robert Downey Jr., Kevin Nealon, Rob Schneider, Sarah Silverman, so many great comedians. Legendary. And obviously, well, no, Sandler, Spade, Farley, and Chris Rock, they all had a great friendship and connection. They gave us some of the best comedy we've ever seen in TV and film. And Sandler's most recent comedy special was so great, especially that final song he played that was a tribute to Chris Farley, who was, he said, was the funniest person alive. And we can only imagine, like, the career that Chris Farley would have had if he hadn't passed away at such a young age of only 33. Only 33? Only 33 years old. Oh, my God. He would have had such a massive movie career because he already had a few big movies before that with David Spade and he was Beverly Hills Ninja. Beverly Hills Ninja is hysterical. That movie is one of the funniest I've ever seen in my life. And you can imagine that Sandler and Farley would have made a ton of movies together because Farley had a small role in Billy Madison as the bus driver. Yeah. He's so funny. (laughs) Great. Grand, wonderful. Veronica Vaughn. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sure like it wouldn't have just been cameos like that. It would have been like they would have been co-leads again. 
in plenty of other films. He'd probably be in all these grown ups movies. He'd yeah. probably be in everything. With I know. Them. Well, yeah. What a what a hole in the future of cinema Huge that created loss to the comedy world. Really. And Adam Sandler really showed the showcased his very unique humor and his very unique comedy, which I think sets him apart from other comedic actors and other comedians because he has this blend of. It's not just stand-up. He has this blend of characterization and this goofiness, this silliness, and also music. I mean, how many, I can't think of many comedians who can blend music so well into their routines and into their acts. And that so, aren't just like yeah, musical comedians. Exactly. And he's able to do, like, whether it be a crazy character or some like playing a song like the Hanukkah song. And he was an, a recurring member on the Weekend Update, and he would always do like these great characters, like the Opera Man was a great Whenever you saw Opera Man on Weekend Update, it was a highlight of the entire show. And I think that they struggled for, they've always struggled for decades to fill that hole that he helped create. And I think Bill Hader came close to that because Bill Hader would go on a, a Weekend Update a lot and do bits there. But Stefan, Stefan was great. But I, th- I don't think anyone compares to what Adam Sandler brought to SNL. Yeah. I mean, the guy has made four albums too, and two went double platinum, two went gold. And I remember when we were kids, we used to listen to our brothers had CDs and tapes of Adam Sandler and we'd yeah. be on the, on the mass pike and be like, welcome to Worcester, dollar twenty five. <laughs> I don't know if, if like he had these great albums of great comedy music and bits and, and all these characters. And, and I mean, a crazy nights. It was a whole musical album with yeah. that too. And I mean the Hanukkah song, like you just brought up who doesn't know that song and the, the Thanksgiving song, the lunch lady song. These are all iconic songs in com in the comedy world. And it all came from the mind of Adam Sandler. Yeah, and I think that people really gravitated to that because it was different and it was fresh. And he has such a unique personality and he lets that out because so many comedians, like, they'll just do stand-up. And then when they act in movies, they're, they're not like, they're just like kind of themselves, you know? Whereas Sandler, he just changes like every skit, every character. He's always doing something unique and fresh and exciting. And he's he has so many um, qualities. He's such an eclectic way of performing, which is why I think so many people love him. And also, I think what registers with audiences and and comedy fans and what makes his characters and films so great is Sandler, he commits to his characters. And when he commits fully to them, that's when they're best. And his stories, they're yeah, they're funny, and his characters go through a lot of transformations. They're relatable. They also have a lot of heart. I mean, Big Daddy is one of like the most heartwarming films once you get through the third act of it. I mean, they all have really happy endings. The comedies, I'm not on Cut Gems, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> And it's and it's ironic because, and he's so loved, and he's never gotten an Academy Award nomination. He's only gotten one Golden Globe nomination, not even for Uncut Gems. He got it for Punch Drunk Love. And it's there's this funny thing. He won the Independent Spirit Award for Uncut Gems. Yeah. And his in his acceptance speech, he said he he named all the other actors he was nominated with, and he said, "Just remember, this is the year you lost to Adam Sandler." Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really funny bit to watch. It's like one of my favorite speeches ever because yeah. he's basically talking smack about the Academy. Because it's ironic because after the release of Funny People in 2009, I think, and then Punch Drunk Love, uh, because of that film in June. 2010 it was announced that sandler was one of the 135 people that year invited to join the academy of motion picture and arts and science 2009 in 2010 yeah so that those are the people who vote for the the nominations in in the awards and it's ironic because they will never give him a nomination because he's a comedian because i think the academy yeah we all we all love saying this, this these people have oscars and that but again, it's a very pretentious system, and they don't want like these. They don't want the person who was happy Gilmore to win an Oscar. That's basically what I think about it. That's crazy that it took him almost twenty years to get added to the Academy. That's insane because he's such a, a heavy uh, part of film over the past twenty years. He really is. It's the same thing with Jim Carrey. There, there's a stigma with the cam with the Academy where they don't like comedians, except for Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah, except for Robin Williams. But Robin Williams said was always doing dramatic films along with comedic films, and so I think that's why it was a little different for him. I don't. I, there's a stigma, and I don't think it'll ever go away. I mean, the Golden Globe has a separate category for comedy. I mean, that just shows the lack of respect that people have towards towards comedic acting, where they think eh, it's not the same as dramatic acting. You know what I mean? Where I think it's just as difficult, and they should be. Um, it should just be—it should be just as widely recognized as dramatic acting. This episode of Raiders of Lost podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped sent us this enormous flag. It, Look it, at it that flag! It doesn't even fit in the shot. 
12, 2 million men are <laughs> 2 million men are using Manscaped products, and we recommend you guys jump on them right now. Their Lawnmower 3.0 Groomer is a life-changing experience every time I use it. I swear I'm not lying. It has a, a light. It's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. It's soft to the touch. It's the best clippers you'll ever use in your life. Their deodorizers, colognes, briefs, T-shirts, everything's amazing. We got a message the other day from someone saying they used our coupon code, which is amazing. Use Raiders of the Lost for 20% off in free shipping all year. Again, Raiders of the Lost for 20% off and free shipping from manscaped.com. Yeah, just to keep going on how he puts himself in so many of his characters. I mean, characters like Sonny Koufax and Big Daddy, Dave Busnick and Anger Management, George Simmons and Funny People. These characters to me seem to be like interpretations of Sandler himself. That's This seems like kind of what he's really like in real life. Well, all, he did say that Billy Madison is the closest he's ever been to portraying himself on screen. At the time. But that's what I mean when yeah. you go through his entire career and you oh, look at his time. characters. Yeah. It's basically showing you he's going through in his real life progression of maturity into through adulthood. I think his characters are doing the same thing. And I, I think he kind of knows that. And him and his and his co-writers, they understand that he's his characters are so much a part of him. And it's really important for them to go through the same processes and have the same kind of mentality. So maybe when Happy Gilmore and, and Billy Madison come out in 95, 96, and 97, he, in those movies, he's a, he's a lot more childlike. He really is that man-child that speaks like a baby sometimes. And not saying that in a bad way. It's, it's hilarious comedy. It's almost genius on some levels. And then Big Daddy and Mr. Deeds, you know, he's a little more mature. He loses the baby voice. Um He's even taking care of the kid in uh, Julian and Big Daddy, so he's he's maturing more. And then again, grown ups in these other films later on in his career, he has kids, and he kind of plays like that rich dad aspect, like that's his new persona in a lot of these films, like the very wealthy, affluent dad with a way too hot wife for him. And that's then, him in real life. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably him in real life. But I think George Simmons is very close to what he probably is in real life, except which for, movies George Simmons? Fun, funny people. Yeah, probably. Except for in real life, he has a family, whereas I don't think George Simmons has kids in that family. I think he really related to the script for Funny People because the character George Simmons, his main conflict is that all these people want to be his friend and all these people pretend to want to be his friend, but they all want something from him. So it's like this guy who he's like, he just wants people to actually treat him like a normal person, but everyone wants to get something out of him. And so I think that that probably related to him as a celebrity in real life. And I think that's why he did that movie because it was like, hey, I can re relate to this more than anyone else in the world can. Yeah, and I love the final act and even the final scene where him and just in Seth Rogen's character, all he wanted was some, a friend just to talk to that didn't want anything from him. And they can just t talk comedy, and make fun of each other a lot. And one of my favorite things that Sandler has always done throughout his career is uh, he, br he always brings his friends into his movies. You'll see comedic actors like John Turturro, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider, Kevin James, uh, Chris Rock, David Spade. They always show up in his movies in small roles or, or larger roles. And I think Sandler is a very loyal friend who has tried his best to always take care of his friends and the people who have always been in his inner circle to get them roles. Because even when their careers kind of dwindled like Rob Schneider, he always has roles in a happy mass in production. You know what I mean? Same thing with David Spade. Like uh, uh, before Grown Ups, like what was David Spade really doing? So I think he's, it's great. He's such a loyal friend. And you can see that all these comedians, they've been working together for like 30 or 40 years and they probably have such a close bond. And it's always fun. Like, cause like John Turturro and the movies are, he's a great actor, but he, you see him in like Mr. Deeds or yeah. it, like <laughs> he's got some ridiculous roles in, in these Sandler movies and Buscemi with the crazy guy. Crazy guys. Crazy guys. <laughs> and then like, it's great that you brought up Rob Schneider because like you just said, he's loyal to his friends. The first film that Happy Madison Productions ever made was Deuce Bigelow Mel Gigolo. Rob Schneider's movie. So that was, that was the first movie they actually made. So that's how loyal of a guy is. Instead of making his own movie first, he makes his friend's movie first. Yeah, well, Rob Schneider had a huge, like, five-year span. Yeah, he did. He, he was, like, The Animal and Deuce Bigelow and The Hot Chick. And Sandler's got a great cameo in The Hot Chick. He yeah. plays that pothead, and he's like, he's always like, yeah, and that's a good place to put your weed right there. <laughs> <laughs> you can hide your weed in there. <laughs> and again... Adam Sandler is like the master of this man-child, and he has, in my opinion, played this kind of character in every single one of his films. I can see it pretty much, except for maybe Rain Over Me. That's a little different film because it's a very heavy film about someone with, with dealing with all that loss from 9-11, but and even in his dramatic films. So I think what these great filmmakers like Paul Thomas Anderson and then the Safdie brothers just did most recently is they, they both made these scripts, both parties made these movies for adam sandler they wanted him for these roles they basically wrote these characters for him and 
what they I think they noticed is that they could channel and use Adam Sandler's comedy techniques, the the man child persona, and even those fits of rage and and anger to to dramatic effects. And I think they they figured out how to use that so well. And I mean, Punch Drunk Love, the character Barry, he's very childlike, but not in the in the way like like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore. He's more of like a psychological innocent child where he's you know he's had he has all those sisters and they've kind of just like he's afraid to act with people socially. He doesn't know how to date or talk to girls. And so and then it's throughout the film again he he finds this woman who helps him mature to figure out how to live their life in a way. And I think I see that both in Barry in Punch Drunk Love and then also in Howard in Uncut Gems. And apparently Paul Thomas Anderson wrote Punch Drunk Love just based upon Adam Sandler's smile. He, he would always see something in Sandler's smile where he was like hiding this like more complex personality and um, this like hidden anger buried deep within him. And that's what inspired him to write Punch Drunk Love. And I think it was a great, uh, obviously we talked about a, a change of pace for PTA where he was doing so many big ensembles and then just to focus on Sandler's character. He made a really unique and beautiful film, and I think that Punch Drunk Love is Sandler's best performance. I think Uncut Gems, he's fantastic, but I think Punch Drunk Love is a really special performance in, in Adam Sandler's career. It's unique. I think it's hard, to, it's hard to choose if you had to pick one which is the better movie or performance. I think, obviously, you love Paul Thomas Anderson with a, with a passion of an exploding star. I do, too. But I also loved Uncut Gems. I think his performance is better in Uncut Gems, but I think Punch Drunk Love's a better movie, if that makes sense. Uncut Gems allowed him to bring his comedic talents to the table, whereas Punch Drunk Love, he wasn't super funny. You yeah. know what I mean? It, yeah. was, it was a completely different—that's why I like it, because it's so different from anything he's ever done, whereas Uncut Gems, there's still Sandler in there. You and know it's what not I mean? like the comedy in Uncut Gems is like Sandler's like one-liners or anything like yeah. that. It's just kind of sprinkled through the character and his, and his actions and everything. And yeah. yeah, like the persona of, ha- of Howard. And also with Uncut Gems and with the Meyerowitz stories and a couple other films, Sandler has um, acted as like portraying these like very Jewish people. And I think uh, in Uncut Gems, that's a perfect, like uh, he plays like a, a New York Jewish stereotype. And the Safdie brothers are... New York and they're Jewish and so they wanted to show that represented on screen that they, they never thought that the Jewish community or the Jewish person like living growing up in the Bronx or in Queens a person like that had ever been properly portrayed on film I think Sandler did a great job with that yeah and obviously we're gonna do an episode on on the Safety brothers and uncut gems some other time but we're just focusing really on the characters of Adam Sandler and his career for this episode and you want to hear something cool about punch drunk glove it's a theory on Punch Drunk Love that Barry is actually Superman or a representation of Superman. So visually, aesthetically, they both wear a blue suit. They both also have immense strength. Barry accidentally breaks his handle on the indestructible um, plunger. Uh, he kicks the glass door and, just, and shatters it to pieces. He destroys the bathroom in the restaurant with his bare hands. <laughs> he destroys that bathroom. He beats the crap out of every person he fights in that movie. He's also obsessed with frequent flyer miles once he once he finds out the loophole that he discovers on the pudding. So he can fly, so he can eventually fly anywhere on the earth for free. And also he does not travel with any possessions just like Superman. And Emily, the love interest in the film, is always wearing red. And so whenever they whenever they embrace, it's the the mix of the red and blue just like Superman's suit. There's one thing you're missing too. What is it? When those uh, four brothers start chasing him down the street, he he jumps out of that walkway trying to fly, but he just falls down. But he does. It seems as though he tries to fly away. Oh, you're right. Yeah, and you're right. The strength he has in that movie is freakish strength. Like he's able to like beat the hell out of those guys with like one punch at a time. And he abs- that that bathroom scene. That that's the funniest part of the movie where he leaves the bathroom and then the the manager comes over to talk to him. He's like, "Did you just tear apart our bathroom?" He's like. No, I didn't. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> he said, like, we just saw you go to that bathroom and now it's ruined. He's like, no, no it wasn't me. <laughs> it's such a funny scene. And I think that what catapulted Adam Sandler into superstardom was obviously the, the one-two punch of Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Absolutely. And that's obviously his production company is called Happy Madison. But those two movies, when we, when we were growing up, those were on repeat in our house. And they defined Adam Sandler. They, 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 they are the definitive Adam Sandler movies. You know, as great as Uncut Gems is and Punch Truck Love and all these other movies, Gilmore and Madison, those are the Adam Sandler movies, in my opinion. I would I would put Big Daddy on there, too, because I think Big Daddy— Well, it was his most successful at the time, yeah, Big Daddy. But I think people love Big Daddy just as much as those. And yeah, I haven't seen Happy Gilmore or Big Daddy— 
I haven't seen Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison in years, but like I can replay them all in my head. Yeah. I can replay the lines. We were doing one-liners for each other earlier. Yeah. It's like it's like insane how embedded those films and those lines and and all those scenes are still in my brain because we watched them so many times as kids. So many times. I mean, if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. Davis. I, we could do lines about it all day. I think this could be why he still has so much success because. We were kids, like, so many kids loved those movies in the 90s, and now they're adults like us. They're all in their 30s and 20s and 40s, and so I think that he's trans... It's very much like Harrison Ford, where it doesn't matter what generation they are, they love Harrison Ford for whatever movie, and Sandler's the same way because, like, we grew, we fell in love with his movies when we were kids, and now he's still making great movies every generation, and so I think it's a thing where not many actors or actresses can tap into the generational divide like he can well i think it's not just actors but comedians there might be two others that do it like bill murray and jim carrey maybe the only other two comedians i can think of off the top of my head where for three decades they still have fans that of every age group and still getting fans that are young because their characters are great and their economy is just it just still hits and obviously we the belovedness that we have of his of his films when we were kids but again he's so popular adam sandler with kids now he might be the most successful comedian in general when it comes to that this episode is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our special coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, you'll be able to see our set, which is decked out these awesome posters. MoviePosters.com sent us all of these. These are amazing. They're printed so well, high quality, every size you can think of, backlighting, framing, glass, whatever you want from your poster, they can handle it. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of TV shows and you want to express that love, there's no better way to do that than to deck your house out or your room out with all these amazing movie posters. Use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order at MoviePosters.com. Again, RAIDERS15 at MoviePosters.com. After his phase, well, he still does have that phase, but after like the main phase of the man-child, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, Big Daddy, um, he came out with the new transition of... Uh, the rom-com version of Adam Sandler, the 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 young man trying to find a significant significant other, but in the Adam Sandler style. You know what I mean? And these are movies like uh, The Wedding Singer, Fifty First Dates, uh, Mr. Deeds. I say would qualify because very much a rom-com with Winona Ryder, and so this allowed him to tap into uh, female audiences in the early in the early two thousands and late nineties. Yeah, he had uh, a few movies he did. <clears throat> With Drew Barrymore, and I think Fifty First Dates is is probably his best film in like that rom com uh, category. It's easily his most like touching and romantic movie. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a very it's a heartbreaking film, especially like the second half of that movie. And and again, he, he it's still we're keeping that man child persona, but again, a different realm, like you said, a different genre. And I really like uh, the Wedding Singer a lot. I think that movie's hysterical. Your name's gonna be Julia Gulia. <laughs> Love stakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's but some... Wedding Singer is great because he was able to showcase his musical talents, which are really great. He's a great singer. If you ever watch the Opera Man sketches on SNL, like he's a legitimate singer. And, it's very goofy, but it's yeah, good. Yeah, but he's a great singer. And the Wedding Singer showcased that. Um, and this, obviously, he and Drew Barrymore have so much chemistry together they do feel like a real couple that's why it works for both of those films yeah i i think that him and drew barrymore have had the best uh romance on film or, or like uh their their chemistry on film versus like on a rom-com yeah and, and films in general versus like him and like kate beckinsale and click it just doesn't seem real and then jennifer aniston they're both great actors but they don't seem to like click with the the married chemistry or the romantic they chemistry. They have the romance. Yeah, I yeah. think Drew Barrymore is like his movie match for sure. I would say Winona Ryder was pretty good, but I mean, it doesn't compare to uh, with uh, Drew Barrymore. You're right. And again, Adam Sandler has definitely made some bad movies and, it, and it's, I think, I don't say that in the, in, to be mean, but it, it's a fact that some of his movies are bad and I think like Jack and Jill, um, those movies, Grown Ups a little bit too, they're, they're different because he's still, like I said, doing some of the man-child stuff the outbursts of anger and rage, which works so well, again, with these innocent characters. I mean, Happy and Billy are the perfect examples about those outbursts and rage. But these characters, yes, they're man-children, but you you kind of empathize with them with their innocence because they don't know any better. And they're, they're both kind of fighting these battles where they don't want to grow up. They're, they kind of don't agree with authority in a way. They, they always lash out against their teachers or professors, like the water boy too. And I think when the innocence is there... 
the outbursts of anger and the rage that's hysterical and it really works but when it's again like a an affluent dad in the, in the story and you don't have that same innocence it doesn't work as well doesn't have the relatability yeah i i, I can understand what you're saying but i'm sure they're try they're just swinging i think he just goes out and swings but that's what comedy is like you know very well like just doing stand up comedy it's gonna whatever tr- works trying to know. make people laugh yeah, you're you just right. throw everything you can out there and see if it sticks cuz i'm sure that with movies like Grown Ups and with Jack and Jill and like with Little Nicky and with like Sandy Wexler, I'm sure he he makes those movies with the same um, belief that he does with like Billy Madison or like The Water Boy, like believing like I think people will laugh at this, I think people will like this, and so I think that you, yeah they aren't as good, but you know at least he's trying to he's just out there swinging. You yeah, know? like I said, I think he's having the most fun of anyone yeah. in filmmaking, and also. He kind of uses it to his his own advantage. Where I think the the rumor is that if he didn't get an Academy Award nomination for Uncut Gems, he would make a movie so bad that people would hate him for it. And, and then he eventually made Hubie Halloween, which is I haven't seen it, but I heard people say it's probably one of the most worst movies ever made. But I, again, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares at all. He, he's got paid like fifty million dollars for that movie. And he's also he voices Dracula on Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, those, those are big hits. Yeah, so those are those are huge movies. Those make too. over four hundred million easy. And, and I think that a lot of great actors they they respect Adam Sandler so much, despite the Academy always giving him the shaft. I mean, like he worked with Jack Nicholson on Anger Management, and that movie is so fun to Al, see. Al Pacino's a Jack and Jill. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, you're right. And then, but Anger Management, I think that's one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies because I think it's less popular than all of his other films. But I love the back and forth that him and Jack Nicholson have in that movie, and their on-screen chemistry is—it's absolutely hysterical. The movie sold itself. Just Jack Nicholson and Sandler, like that—that's all. Like taking my money, and it's—it's it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun, and uh, Marissa Tomei's in it too, like my childhood crush. And <laughs> <laughs> but I think that a movie like that, when when Sandler's paired up with uh, an icon like that. It's so much fun to see because at the time he wasn't an icon, but now you can look at Sandler like he's definitely an icon and he'll live on as like a legend, like in the same stratosphere as Jack Nicholson of being like a huge part of film history. And he he also, he was in the Longest Yard remake, which is a lot because, I mean, Burt Reynolds was the original in that character. So it's kind of like he's stepping outside of his comfort zone, which I love to see, not just in the dramatic work, but obviously the Longest Yard. It's a, the Longest Yard is maybe the most different he's been in any film because he's not the man child anymore he's kind of just like a normal hero it's the film. leading man yeah he's never done that except for that movie yeah i would definitely agree he plays like a typical like strong leading man hollywood-esque leading man because i mean burt reynolds played the original character so you can't get more manly than burt reynolds so he had to like do something similar with that but then i think there's also there's another type so with the drama Movies, you could say that it's the drama outsider version of of Adam Sandler. Absolutely, yeah. Because every one of those characters is an outsider in a certain way. And then I think there's the the fifth kind of Adam Sandler character is the over the top, just plain silly and goofy, like some of his SNL characters, where it's not like the Water Boy is very silly, but there is like a nuance to it, and it's very personable of a character. But then with some of these movies, um, like he's just having a blast. I'm sure, like movies like. You don't mess with the Zohan, uh, Sandy Wexler, Little Necky, uh, That's My Boy, The Do-Over. I, th- I think these are movies where he's just like, he knows it's over the top and he knows it's ridiculous. Like him playing a secret agent in The Do-Over, like obviously it's unbelievable. And Little Nicky is super weird and Zohan is like a ridiculous character, but he knows it is. And he's not going for nuance and he's just trying to have fun. And I think that... There, that's definitely a separate category for sure. You could say a subgenre of the Adam Sandler characters. Yeah, and I'll go to my grave saying that you don't mess with the Zohan is a good movie. That's the funny. Very funny. That's there funny. are a lot of bad jokes that don't land, but half the jokes I would say do land. Yeah, the hummus and, stuff is. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's like washing his hair in hummus. <laughs> he brushes his teeth with hummus. The concept is hysterical. The secret agent, this Israeli secret agent that wants to become a hairstylist, and then I mean, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry that he did with um Kevin James with Kevin James that movies that's also really funny yeah, it's, it's a good that's movie. again a, a different interpretation i wouldn't even say he's much of a man child really in that film but again defining man child is broad i think it's more of mostly in general someone who doesn't want to grow up that's the main concept of it and that makes it relatable that so the reason so uncut gems what's his character's name i'm sorry howard howard, howard is an asshole and he's a liar and he's a cheater and he tries to make every quick buck he can off of people and he's a bad father he's a bad husband he has he has basically no good qualities 
as a person. It's on paper, no good qualities. But with the performance Adam Sandler delivers, you can't help but like him and you can't help but root for him. Like by the third act of that movie, you're like, you hope that his bet's going to win out in the game and you hope that all of his problems will be solved by this crazy bet he made. And I can't think of many actors who can make this kind of character so lovable because he, in many ways, he's a he's a, a just a bad guy. Yeah. But Sandler has that that quality that 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 you can just see yourself in, and that doesn't seem like unbelievable, and that makes you feel empathy for that character, especially in Uncut Gems. And I think so. He brings all the relatability he has in his silly movies. And he brings it into a role like that. And that's when a performance is really special. Yeah, and I think the, these dramatic directors, like the Safety Brothers and PTA, they utilize his anger. His, and Noah Bombach. Yeah, Bombach too. They they utilize his anger, his irritability, those outbursts, and channel it so well, especially with Howard on Uncut Gems, to to bring life and relatability and even somewhat humor to the chaos like that Howard creates himself. I mean, just to like talk about that character for a minute, I mean, his life— he only feels alive when his life is a mess, when it's on the line constantly. That's that's when he's when he he's, wins. he's the ultimate version of self destruction. Yeah, he's he's like an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Like when he's talking to Garnett, he's like, "This is how I win. This is how I live. This is this is my thing." Where he's constantly having hundred hundred thousand uh, dollar uh, bets on things, and he owes people so much money. He and you know that character could get out. He has the money to to cover his debt. But he uses it to to place a bet, and it's insane. He it makes, makes bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and it's a two it's an hour and a half just irritability anxiety trip but it's so fun and i love every ask every minute of that film yeah and it's got a terrific ending and that movie is it's so anxiety inducing because he's making all these horrible decisions and just putting himself in a bigger hole but you're right there with him the whole time and sandler not many people can pull it off but and then with myrich stories noah bombach's film he just has a supporting role, but he still has a good amount of screen time, and he 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 plays like he's he's not a man child in this, but he is um, immature in a lot of ways. Where he kind of he resents his brother and he resents his father, and he's he's great with Ben Stiller and with um, Dustin Hoffman and Noah Baumbach. I obviously just like he's a great director, just like PTA and the Safties, and they all see these this quality to Adam Sandler where he has so much talent. But I think so many directors and producers in the past. 20 years they never really took him seriously but these these directors they 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 know what they want and they know that he has a lot of potential and they're able to pull that out of him for these dramatic roles yeah again these roles are basically written for his for him specifically because these directors they see that man child and how can i use that in a dramatic way and make it again super relatable and tell a unique story with an interesting character and you know you get us you have to admit no matter how grown up you might be or how mature you are or how I don't know, successful or or prominent you are, there is you still have a sense of immaturity in with within you some to some level and some degree. You know what I mean? We all have that child within us to to some extent. Whether we show people or not, we yeah. all do silly things in our lives. Even like when we're alone in the car or yeah. at home alone, we laugh at funny things. Like th- th- everyone has these instances and these qualities that he's not afraid to let out. I'm not sure if audiences were. Hat, we're, we're looking to keep seeing his movies in theaters, and I think one of the reasons why he moved to Netflix was because he had a he had a string of poorly pre- performing movies in a row. He had uh, Jack and Jill, That's My Boy, Grown Ups Two, Blended, and The Cobbler, and those all came out within a few years of each other, and they were all released in theaters, and um, they all performed really poorly. I mean, Grown Ups Two made some money because it was a sequel, but still. Uh, not what they wanted. That's why they didn't make another one. And they were all poorly received, like very, very, very bad reviews. And um, these were like before this Sandler movies were always making over 100 million, sometimes over 200 million. So he was always usually a guaranteed hit. And so he was he was reaching a plateau and a dip in his career box office wise. Like if you take out Hotel Transylvania, which was and around the same time as that, his movies were just losing money. And so I, there's this, it's hard to define why this is happening because now his movies are getting so many views on Netflix. But I would just say that maybe people weren't willing to go to the theater to see his movies, but now they're, hap- they're happy to watch it at home. For free. For free. Basically, almost so for there's free. So there's an aspect where his movies became less of an event and more of like a binge, I would say. You could say his Netflix movies. I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah. 
and many people don't know this, but Sandler has a writing partner who's helped him write, I think, 12 of his scripts, Tim Harrelly, and he's been working with Sandler since the SNL days, and Tim also gets a bunch of cameos in Sandler's films, and you might recognize him. He's in this, he's the sing-song kangaroo in Big Daddy, the one on the VHS tape. <laughs> so he's actually the... the kangaroo one his, song! The kangaroo <laughs> song! He's one of the... Uh, the, one of his uh, writing partners in a lot of his films, actually. That's amazing. I didn't know that. He's also uh, one director actually made a bunch of his early films, Doug something, I can't remember. So he, he's always collaborated with the same people, which is why it has the same qualities and tones throughout all of his films. And then it was so cool to see M. Sandler return to SNL after I think he didn't go back for like for 19 years or he something. He was fired like from SNL. Yeah, so which yeah. is crazy. They fired SNL, they fired him and Farley at the same time and they yeah. were like what is going on? And little did they know they would go on to have some of the biggest well, Sandler would go on to have probably the biggest comedic career of all time. And another common occurrence in a lot of these films, a lot of the man-child versions of the films especially the early days of Sandler is really the only people that understand his characters in the films who get along with him are like laugh at his jokes and things he says are children. You know what I mean? Like, for example, um, in Happy Gilmore, when he's getting hit with the softballs, training for hockey season, the kid behind him's like, whoa, that is so cool. <laughs> and then Chubb's going, I was like, what the hell is the matter with you? Yeah. And then same thing with Billy Madison. You know, he's he's he has this this problem with authority figures, with teachers, with the, with his father, and with the guy who's trying to take over the company. Mm -hmm. And then um, he's doing his 1 through 12 of grade school over again. And the only people that he communicates best with are like those first graders. And he's like, that's quackdastic. And Miss <laughs> Libby, Libby and her blue card and everything. So I, I painted the duck blue because I've never seen a blue duck before. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just an interesting. Also in Big Daddy, he there's that Yoo-Hoo scene where he's drinking Yoo-Hoo's with the kids on the playground. And he's telling them like to not to do drugs and to keep it cool and <laughs> so that's true he does get along best with kids in those movies but then it changes again just to stay on big daddy where for example when julian first comes into his life and he's sleeping over at the apartment which I don't, he has this crazy cool apartment because he got his foot run over by a taxi cab i guess i guess that's enough money to afford that in new um, york kind of <laughs> yeah like two hundred thousand dollars i think he said and Early on in the movie, Julian, you know, wets the bed a few times, and he's always spilling milk, and Adam Sandler's character now, instead of being the child, man-child, he's a little more mature, and he's the one, you know, putting the, the newspaper down on the bed, <laughs> or the newspaper down on the milk, but he's still a man-child in a way, like, yeah, you know, he's putting- He's covered in newspaper. He's covering urine and milk with newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> and then the puke too. So oh so again, God. it's kind of a transformation in general for him as a as a adult in real life and his characters. Where now he's less of a child or baby like child, and now he's more of a kind of an adult. You I you have to admit though that Big Daddy the it, some of it doesn't age well in terms of the of the ex girlfriend who breaks up with him because when his girlfriend breaks up with him, she becomes like a, a, a joke of the movie. And mm -hmm. she becomes like a, a villain to him. You know what I mean? Like he, she, she like, how dare she break up with him? But like, who wouldn't break up with him at that point of yeah. his life? You know what I mean? He was not a great boyfriend. He's a, he's like a slob and he's a super immature guy. So I think there's an aspect to Big Daddy that obviously the portrayal of the ex-girlfriend, I think, hasn't aged very well at all. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And in terms of Big Daddy, I think everyone knows that the, the Sprouse brothers, Dylan and Cole Sprouse, both played Julian in the film. And the reason for this is because this often happens. Film sets try to get uh, twins to play one role because child labor laws prevent children from being filmed for more than a few hours each day. They have to like a four minute, four hour maximum of being filmed for a production. And so, in order to get around this, the the set the production hired the Sprouse twins. So one twin would film for the first half of the day as Julian, and then the other twin would film the second half of the day as Julian. Yeah, that's kind of like how us and we both played Airbud in the original film. Yeah, we Air played Bud. the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Guess which one was on camera for the buckets. <laughs> how about we move on to some uh, Adam Sandler fun facts? Let's do it. In Billy Madison, during that famous dodgeball scene where he whips the kids with dodgeballs, Adam Sandler in real life actually did hit the, hit the kids with dodgeballs as hard as he possibly could. And the editor of the film cut away quickly after each hit so that he wouldn't show the kids he wouldn't show the kids crying afterwards. <laughs> he does throw those kickballs so fast. <laughs> what does he say? You're all in big trouble. And Happy Gilmore, before his first tournament, Happy asked Chubbs why he didn't play a real sport. 
like football or something. And ironically, in real life, Carl Weathers was a professional football player before he became an actor. And the thing I love about uh, his character, Chubbs, is he always wears a Lacoste polo, which is the logo of an alligator, and he gets his hand bitten off by an alligator. One of the funniest parts of that movie is when um, they first meet in... Um, Happy accidentally knocks his hand off when he swings his hockey puck, and he 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 hits the hand into the street, and then uh, Chubbs is like, "Oh, don't worry, it's very sturdy," and then he gets run over by a truck, <laughs> and then Happy like puts his hand out to shake his hand, and then Chubbs doesn't have a hand. He's like, "Okay, he's trying to put it together for him." <laughs> And then the next scene with Chubbs, his hand is all glued together with like Elmer's glue. <laughs> In Happy Gilmore. So the famous Happy Gilmore swing, it actually works. And this was proven by a professional golfer named Padraig Harrington. He actually filmed himself doing the Happy Gilmore swing. And when he, when Harrington did the, Gil, the Happy Gilmore swing, he produced a much longer drive and created more speed with, the, with, the, uh, with his club head. And this increased his driving speed from 107 miles per hour to 114 miles per hour. And it also added 30 yards to his drive. The only problem with the Happy Gilmore swing is it's extremely hard to control, so the accuracy is basically out of control. Yeah, well, that's just physics 101. You got extra velocity and momentum going. I, every time I've been to a driving Everyone's range, tried it. I do yeah. it, and, and I always, like, some days it hits, and some days it's horribly wrong, and, like, I, I hit the, the club on the ground because it's, <laughs> it's hard to do unless you practice it. I used to try it. I hurt my, I've tweaked my back trying it. I've, I've almost hit people in the face with doing it. It's, it's not safe <laughs> to do the Happy Gilmore swing at a driving range unless you're, like, completely alone on all sides. Not at all. <laughs> but it feels so fun to try though you're like oh i'm gonna smash it just powerful. like i'm gonna be just like happy yeah get that torque and that wraps our adam sandler actor spotlight on his entire career we'll go more in depth on each of these movies and other times especially we definitely want to do a safety brothers episode soon and tom paul thomas anderson we're definitely gonna cover soon so we'll hit on some of those later on throughout the show's existence but thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, definitely comment what your favorite Adam Sandler movie is for us. Take care, everyone. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast.